Jeremiah 5, 5, the Bible says, I will get me unto the great men and will speak unto them. For they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. We're to get to the great men. One of these great men is Pastor Gary Berry of Charlotte, North Carolina. He's been pastoring the Liberty Baptist Church of Charlotte, North Carolina for over 47 years. Um, it takes a lot of character and a lot of guts to stick to a work and stick to pastoring in the same church for 47 years, almost five decades. I'm sure I'll say it again, but success is not measured in years, it's measured in decades. And this man has proven to be successful, uh, not the world's success, but in the, God's definition of success. He has proven to be successful by staying faithful. He's close to the end of his life probably. I hope, I hope it's not, but he's 75 years old and uh, he probably doesn't have many years left. So I'm glad we get to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one interview. Um, I guess technically two-on-two -two interview because it's me and my wife and him and his wife. Um, but it's, uh, it was a blessing to sit down with him. I hope it's a blessing to you and a help to you. We talked about uh, his, his testimony, how he, how he got saved, how he grew up. Um, he was, grew up in a broken home. We talk about how that affected his pastoring and his ministry later, because it surely did. Um, we talked about some other things, some people that he looks up to and things. This is part one of a two-part interview. Uh, watch through the whole thing. It, it, it'll be a blessing to you. I hope it'll help you. If you could and, give uh, me a, just a brief testimony of how you grew up, your living situation, what brought you to Jesus, what, what, how did you get saved? What got you to uh, uh, to pastoring any uh, any or uh, any or all of that? If you could give me a, like a brief testimony of that. Yes, sir, Andrew. I was I was born, of course, nineteen hundred forty nine, and uh, really born in North Carolina, but I grew up in Tennessee in Rome Mountain, Tennessee area. And uh, of course, my dad was uh, in World War Two, and uh, I guess because of the the all the killing he's seen. My dad had some mental problems. He had a breakdown. Lived in the VA hospital all of his life. So I, mm -hmm. I was 24 year old before I ever seen my dad for the first time. And uh, of course, uh, my mother went away to work, take care of some elderly people. And my mother, uh, grandmother, uh, I started living with her from the time I was three till about 12. And uh, of course, uh, we didn't have a Christian home. My grandparents were good people, but of course they, they weren't saved. Maybe my grandmother was, but not my granddad. So I grew up real hard and uh, grew up very poor, very, very, very poor. And uh, so anyway, uh, I, I got involved. Of course, there was not any discipline, really. I did basically what I wanted to do of the day and uh, just never <laughs> liked school. I thought school was a waste of time and Playing was more important. But anyway, uh, through the years, around 12 year old, I began to experience some alcohol and some things. And, uh, and that was about 12. And at 16, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I went to work, got a job at a service station back then. And of course, the people that hired me were great Christians. They were great Christians. And, uh, every day, uh, the owner's wife would tell me about the Lord and give me gospel tracts and, of course, I, uh, I I didn't I never went to church really growing up. Didn't know anything about God. Didn't knew nothing about salvation. And uh, 
But I, uh, uh, I was 16 year old, and of course, when I went to the big city, uh, alcohol was just wide open. It was just so so available everywhere. But I got to drinking more and more, and uh, you know how that is. That just sin always grows and gets worse. And uh, I spent a lot of time, some time in jail, and uh, and I'm not uh, glad of that at all. But it happened in my life. And uh, so time of 19, I was really out of control. And, of course, I worked every day and drank at night. And uh, But uh, I was in jail one night, and, of course, uh, I found or uh, saw a piece of paper laying out in uh, outside of my cell door, and I put, took my shoe and my foot and pulled it inside, and it was a gospel tract written by the great preacher evangelist Oliver B. Green from South Carolina, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, of course, I was already in conviction. I'd been thinking about getting saved or whatever I needed to do to get my life straightened out. And uh, I went to the mountains from North Carolina with my friend. And, again, an old preacher up there told me about Christ. And he just put it on the line. He said, young boy, young boy, if you don't get saved... Uh, Sonny boy, if you don't get saved, you'll go to hell. He didn't, you know, he didn't try to uh, comfort me much. But uh, anyway, that was on a Sunday. Sunday evening, my friend asked me to go to church, and uh, and I didn't want to go. I didn't know anything about church, and I went. And uh, I'll just kind of make this part short. But that night, the man of God preached on hell, and uh, and I was on the front row. Tried to sit on the back, but the Lord wouldn't let me. And uh, that was in July, the first Ju uh, Sunday night in July, 1968. Uh, that night at 20 minutes, 9 o'clock, I received Christ as my Savior. And, uh, boy, I got excited. I was so excited. And I just, uh, the peace of God settled in my soul. And, you know, the Bible says in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified in the faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God that night, I finally, for the first time in my life, found real peace, right. and uh, I tried to uh, find peace in other things in the world, but uh, the world always fails you, and, uh, but I got saved, and uh, really I believe that night standing in the church pew testified, I received Christ as my Savior, and that's 1968, and of course, I began to go to church and to grow, and uh, by the way, that night, uh, uh, the lady I'm married to today, my wife sitting here, uh, she was in that church, and of course, uh, she was so pretty then, like she is now. And so, uh, we, I, I, I started dating her. She didn't really want to date me because she's scared of me. But uh, there's such a change in my life, and her parents went there. And I got saved. We started became friends first, and of course, we uh, later on I. Uh, her dad, of course, pastor. He had a great knowledge in the Bible, and I'd go there to take her out for a date, and uh, and he, her dad would say, "Come on, brother Gary, let me show you what I I preached on Sunday or something." And really, we had a Bible study at nine o'clock, right. and uh, and I remember that one night uh, it was nine o'clock, and her daddy, we'd had a two-hour Bible study, and he came to to Miss Bear and said, uh, "Miss Bear, you know," I said, uh, "Kathy." Uh, I guess you know you got company. She said, Daddy, yeah. I said, I think you forgot I had company. <laughs> but uh, anyway, 
to make a long story short, I got saved and I went in the military in uh, 69, May the 9th, 1971, served in the Army. And uh, came out and uh, uh, not long after that, I guess about a year, uh, we got married in October 1972. And uh, and God began to use our life. We moved to the mountains of North Carolina. And I became a bus director, youth director. I became anything the pastor wanted me to do. I did it. And uh, I learned about loyalty and I learned about the Lord. And then after about four years, maybe a little less than four years, we moved back to Charlotte. And uh, her dad pastored. And, of course, we went and helped her dad uh, start a youth ministry, really, youth choir and uh, um, church, uh, children's church, the church grew. Uh, we was involved in everything, started a bus route. And, uh, and Andrew, the funny thing about that, the church room had no money. And, uh, and I found a bus in Greenville, South Carolina, and they wanted $1,600 for that, for that mm-hmm. bus. And, uh, and so I didn't really have the money. So I'd have all the teenagers to bring pennies. And we bought that bus, $1,600 worth uh, uh, pennies we had. Wow. And we bought that bus. But anyway, we started the bus ministry there. It grew. Uh, and uh, a lot of teenagers. And then... Uh, in 1977, God began to deal with me about pastoring. I'd been called to preach, of course, and been full-time service for four years, and I uh, started pastoring. And I uh, went to a crusade, and uh, the man of God preached, and I got a conviction, and that night I surrendered to pastor in uh, 77. And we started Liberty Baptist Church October 13th, 1977. A uh, little house we was in for a year, about 24 by 24 in size. And, uh, of course, we moved from there. I had to have a bigger place. And we found an old warehouse that was a uh, construction place where they worked on uh, dozers and backhoes and had dirt floors. And we put windows in that building and poured concrete eventually. And we stayed there three and a half years. Then we moved. Uh, Lord made a way to move to uh, Sam Wilson Road in Charlotte. And... Uh, and so we've had a great time, a great ministry. Thousands of people come to know Christ. Uh, we ran 14 buses at one time and, uh, and had thousands of people saved. Uh, had uh, averaged about 500 and some people a, a Sunday on buses. And, uh, and so we've just preached and built and people have been saved. And I've been there 47 years and uh, built several buildings and... Uh, we started out paying rent $150 a month, and uh, but now we own about seven, eight million dollars worth of property, and the Lord's been good to us. Miss Barry has been the uh, anchor a whole lot. She stood with her husband, and and the Lord's used us, and so that's kindly a little bit about my life. There's a lot of stuff I wouldn't tell, but uh, God's grace is sufficient. Amen. The Lord made me a new creature in Christ. And uh, gave me a real love for people. Amen. So you you explained how you met your wife, and that was my next my next question. Um, what you've been married for over fifty one years. Fifty one years. What? We just finished fifty one years. October twenty first. Mm-hmm. We dated about four and a half years, and uh, I uh, I knew that I needed the perfect will of God as far as marriage uh, in my mm-hmm. life, and so. Uh, the Lord gave me her, and we dated, and 
she didn't like me all that much starting out, and uh, but I kind of like grew on her, and right. she grew really grew on me. But uh, it's been a wonderful 51 years of, of marriage, and I wouldn't have have it any other way. And she has been everything that a that a preacher would want right. for a wife. But I met her. The church that I got saved at is the place that I met her that night. Amen. And uh, she was beautiful then. She's still beautiful. Amen. What What's kept you together for 51 years? Well, people ask, what's the secret? But obviously there's no secret. The Bible tells us. But what what, what would you attribute it's the to Lord, 51 years? It's respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and we just decided that we was going to make it all the way. Uh, Miss Barry and I are very much in love 51 years later. And uh, and so it's been the Lord. Uh, we always try to spend time with each other. Uh, of course, we have three boys, 50-year-old, 48-year-old, 44-year-old. and uh, But it's been the Lord and our dedication to want to please the Lord. It's what's kept us together. And... Uh, uh, we married, of course, in the perfect will of God. I got out of the military. We'd kindly broken up for a short time, and I dated a couple other girls. And uh, in fact, both of those accepted Christ during that time. And but I knew she was the perfect will of God for my life. Amen. And I went back to her dad's church and rescued her, <laughs> and uh, asked her to marry me. We was on a uh, Andrew was her dad had bought an old 1951 Mac bus they was going to make it a traveling bus like a temper to, you mm -hmm. know they sing and uh, I was on a 1951 model bus when I asked Miss Barry to marry me wow <laughs> yeah so if you look at you you counsel many many people if you look at today's marriages um, which we have a very very high divorce rate I know in Charlotte you said you have a 50 51%. over 50% divorce rate what do you look at in today's marriages what would be the number one ingredient that you say is missing that's leading to that? Or is there a one specific cause? I, I think I think the young generation, Andrew, is they're, they're trying to have in five years what it took us 40 years to get. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times financial pressures comes. Uh, children come, parents are having to hire babysitters to to train their children, take care of their children while they're working. And I, I think that just so much pressure, so much pressure on marriages. Right. Uh, and they ain't a whole lot of time. They don't have a lot of time for the Lord because they're either working or they're worn out or some activity. And uh, but our, our thing's been spending time together. But... Uh, but just, uh, this may sound a little weird, Andrew, but men now want to play all the time. Right. Men now get all the toys. And, uh, but we, uh, we've helped a lot of people through the years. Our church did couples retreats and a lot of times bitterness and anger. A lot of times they just marry out of the will of God. I, I think probably the thing that has helped Preacher Barry and I um, stay together through all the different decisions that he made. Mm -hmm. um, 
and even the fact that we got back together was we both wanted God's will. Um, he was searching for God's will after right. he came out of the military. And so, um, and then, and he said, and he'll probably repeat it, but he, he wanted to get married and have a family. And so uh, we had broke up. He broke up with me while he was in the military. Bad move. And uh, so uh, he got some bad counsel from somebody. But anyway, um, because I was five years younger. And so anyway, he, um, but when he got back and he dated a couple girls and he just couldn't, you know, he knew that, that they weren't the right one. So, uh, and then he came back and, you know, he said, you know, but I knew because the whole time we had been apart, I, I prayed and was asking the Lord to bring him back. I guess partly because, I mean, I loved him dearly and I, and I even dated, but I, I told that young man that, um, you know, about him. And I said, I, I just can't get past it. I can't, right. I can't get past our relationship. So, but he, this other guy, he wanted to get married and he kept talking about it, but, and Pastor Bruce showed up just at the right moment. And, um, there's a sweet story about that, but I won't take the time to tell it. But uh, he, we both just wanted God's will. I wanted God's will. He wanted God's will. And then after we got married and the whole going to Boone to work for that pastor, um, I knew that was God's will. He knew that was God's will, uh, even though he tried to wrestle with it because he loved his job. And, uh, and we were waiting for Tim to be born. Tim... Um, was three weeks old when we moved to Boone. So, uh, but, and then coming back and starting Liberty, that was all about God's will. None of it was easy, but we both knew that it yes. was God's will all the way. And I think if young people um, find that person that they love more than themselves and they love God, because He is love, right. I think that that will solidify their marriage and you'll stay with that person because you think this is who the Lord wants me to be with so he never makes a mistake and and if there's a conflict then you solve it right you don't stay in the conflict because you're thinking this is God's will so Lord help me learn what I need to learn to um, still meet this person's needs I really felt like that the the young man that I had fallen for because we were friends first and I think that is essential in marriage. I think you need to be friends first. Right. So you get to know each other and your personality when you're sick, when you're upset, when you got a raise, when you know you've had issues with your parents. You need to see that in each other. Go through all those different experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh because you know if you date and everything's always perfect then when situations come then you don't have to deal with it and uh, but I had seen him in and out and up and down and he had me too so um, I knew him I could plan our conversations I mean I could say if I say this he'll say that if I say this he'll say that right. I, I just knew him that well and uh, but I knew he was God's will without a shadow of doubt. Here's the thing a lot of people don't understand. 
there is a permissive will of God, but there's the perfect will. There's some things that God permits that aren't the perfect will. And the king those, of Israel, Saul. Those other girls, I think God, because they both got saved, I think God would have permitted the marriage to take place. But I feel like it would have been a problem later. And so I married in the perfect will of God. We were both 100% at peace. Amen. And, he needed uh, me. And I needed him. Yeah. So uh, that's kindly how it is. Amen. <laughs> and I still need him, and he's still right. Yeah, I have to have somebody keep my sugar up. <laughs> so you you grew up in a uh, in a broken home. How did that affect your ministry? Even till this point, has that affected your ministry? And how? Uh, whether the type think, of people you reach think, or the emphasis. I'm not sure it affected my ministry. I think it may, it don't sound right, may be a positive part of my ministry <laughs> because I have such a love for the home that I didn't have. And, uh, and I want everybody to have a great home. And I've learned a lot of things because of that. And, uh, I don't think it's affected my ministry, not ne really. Not negatively. I not negatively. It's positive. Yeah. Right. And, you know, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and call according to His purpose. Now, I wish I'd have had a dad at home. I didn't. And I wish I'd have had a mom at home in the early years of my life. And, uh, and sometimes I get to thinking to this day, I wonder how it would have been. But I didn't have but. The Lord took me up. God called me to preach. And I yielded everything to him. I didn't hold on to nothing. And I surrendered my life to So it's in my marriage, not many of them, but in my marriage, it's been a positive. Now, here, here, here's the only thing that, that that affected is since I didn't have a dad, in the earlier years of my kid's life, I'm trying to start a church, trying to do all this stuff. And uh, it probably affected my children that I wasn't around more than what I was. And uh, but I I wish I'd have had a dad, but it didn't happen. And uh, God knew why, and, and so the things fine. I think the thing that I see in him that of him not having his dad was that. He was very um, strong-minded and strong-willed, which has made him very determined. He was the most determined person I'd ever met, and I was real passive. So uh, we were the perfect match. Uh, he he motivated people and uh, because he was motivated all the time, a lot like your dad. And um, But he, he was strong and... Uh, uh, and has and still is for even for his age, he's very strong willed and minded about things, very determined about things. And I think that's been a very positive. The other thing I think about him is that he loves people. And sometimes you think the people who are loved the most will love, but sometimes it's the people who haven't been loved that will want to be loved, right? But it hasn't allowed him to compromise. So I guess in a in a in a similar question, 
You served in the Army. You served in Vietnam for two years. I didn't go to Vietnam. I was on my way to Vietnam. And when I left, I stayed in the States for 11 months. And I helped them in Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I was an empty man. I was a frontline empty man. And mm -hmm. what that is, is when you went to Vietnam, you was the guy that went into the rice paddies and cleared the road for everybody else to come in. But when I got to Germany, I remember that night it was cold. And... Uh, and so, anyway, of uh, course, one reason me and my brother was in there at the same time. He was in Fort Riley, Kansas, and of course, neither one of us uh, really. I think the Lord did it because of our dad. And uh, but I went to Germany, and and I was uh, I was kind of assured that I would be shipped on, but I was a mechanic, and uh, and I that night they took me up to the barracks where the motor pool we call it second 48th infantry division and i spent the night there i bedded down there but they found out i was a, a mechanic and uh, they needed somebody in motor pool and uh so they just kept me there for 13 months wow and i didn't have to go to vietnam but i trained for vietnam mm -hmm. and uh but it was it was good it brought a lot of discipline to my life uh I love my country, and I'm glad I got served, you know, in my country. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and did you get drafted, or did you volunteer? I got drafted. Back then, they had the draft program, and uh, sadly to say, because of my past record, when I got down there and started processing, uh, of course, I was kind of glad they sent me back home. And uh, about two weeks, I guess, and yeah. then. I thought maybe I'm going to get to stay home, my girl, and get married earlier and all that stuff. And uh, But they called me back, and uh, I went in for empty training in Fort Gordon, Georgia. Hmm. So how does that, positively or negatively, how has that affected your, your ministry, the time in the military? Well, when I was in the military, I, uh, I carried my Bible all the time. Uh, when I was in Georgia, of course, me and the drill sergeant had a little discussion when he called God's name in vain. I called him on it, and, you know, I scared to death. Uh, here's a drill sergeant with his smoky bear hat on, and right. and I, I told him I didn't appreciate him calling God's name in vain. And uh, and he, boy, he, he ate me alive. But when training was over, when training was over, he called me aside, and he said, Barry, you know, you got your name on your coat, on your uniform. He said, Barry, you're real serious about this Jesus, ain't you? And uh, I said, yes, Sergeant Cap, I really am. And I said, I don't appreciate you calling his name, you know. But anyway, we had a discussion about that. Then later on, later on, I tried to go to church on, on base, and it was a Catholic church, and the priest came in with alcohol on his breath, and I thought, well, I can't handle this. Right. And uh, But the first sergeant, uh, he said, uh, he said, you're my, I said, yeah, pretty good mechanic. He said, will you come over to my house and tune up my 69 Chevrolet Nova? And I said, oh, we only bought the spark plugs and all the stuff. And I went over there. And uh, he said, I think I'm going to give you a weekend past, pass and let you go home to your church. And that's about two hours, two and a half hours away coming out of Augusta, South Carolina. And uh, so he gave me his credit card, and he said, I want you to go over here to the Gulf Station every weekend 
and fill your car up with gas. Wow. So even Wednesday nights sometimes, like tonight, uh, I'd get off work around 4, 4.30, and I'd get in that car, go fill it up. Sometimes Wednesday night at her dad's church, she'd be sitting in the church pew, and I'd sneak in and sit beside of her. But now I had to leave that night and go all the way back to Augusta. And, uh, but God let me be a witness in there. Amen. Uh, if where I went, I laid my Bible out in my little bedroom, wherever it's at. Uh, even in Germany, I won people to Christ. And uh, it taught me a lot of character. And, uh, but military didn't hurt me spiritually. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, Andrew, I really got, I, I think I got oversaved. <laughs> it's not possible, but right. I think I got oversaved. But I was so glad to be out of the world mm -hmm. that whatever God wanted. A lot of people thought he won't make it because he he drank a case of beer and a fifth of whiskey every day. Wow. I mean, yeah. we're not talking about a six-pack of beer. I was alcohol-free. I mean, alcohol in me for one year for three months every night, three months. And and then with the, how the drugs were, you know, I didn't get on drugs, thank the Lord. And he didn't drink. And uh, but God saved my life, saved me, and it just it cleaned my life up. Amen. And uh, I became a new creature. It was religion couldn't help me. No. Mm -hmm. I tell you, God helped me. Right. So had not having a father, a father's purpose in their children's lives is to build character. Did the military help to instill that character Absol in you? Absolutely, it did. It taught me a lot of discipline. Uh, <clears throat> taught me how to work in the kitchen. Uh, taught me how to work hard. Get up early, go to bed. It just, it builds character. I wish, Andrew, I wish probably one of the greatest things could happen today if the army, the military would reinstate the draft program. These kids coming out of high school, you know, they need to go at least for a year. I've always said this because it creates discipline. They get away from mom and dad and uh, you create habits, good habits. But uh, I recommend the military, and uh, but it helped me. Gotcha. Amen. So did you have anybody... Uh, especially in the, your younger years, when you first started the church, when you just got saved. Um, and you can name them if you like, you don't have to, but did you have anybody that was a specific mentor to you that, that uh, helped you to grow to the point that, uh, I mean, nobody's a self-made man. What Did you have anybody specifically that um, really influenced you a lot at that time? When I first got saved or when I started the church? Yes. When I first got saved, I had a lady uh, uh, that I went to work for. Her and her husband went to Charlotte. Just a great influence. She knew the Bible from front to back. Uh, and she helped me as a new convert, as a young Christian, Betty Burleson. And it's Bur Betty uh, 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 Love now is her name. Her husband died. She remarried. But she's such an influence on my life. My wife's dad, Carl King, was a real influence in my life. He taught me the Bible. And then uh, the man's preaching the night that I got saved, uh, Richard Horney, he, he was a great influence. He had God on him. He was a student at Tennessee Temple, preaching the night I got saved. He won her to the Lord. He married us. 
But I, I had a lot of help as a young Christian. People who who taught me, but probably the greatest thing is when uh, I started full-time work. I, I went to pastor school in Hammond, Indiana, First Baptist, under leadership of Dr. Jack Kyle for 34 years. I went to our 34 pastor schools and 13 youth conferences. Wow. And uh, Dr. Howes was uh, probably uh, the mentor that helped me uh, more than anything. But then a lot of other preachers helped me. Mm -hmm. I grew up, started out around the old count meeting churches and the old brush arbors. Great men like Dr. Percy Ray from Myrtle, Mississippi, and Dr. Harold Seitler from Tabernacle Baptist in Greenville, South Carolina, Oliver Crane. These men, they had such an impact on my life. And the great Dr. Jack Hudson, who was pastor of Northside Baptist in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Dr. Hudson, he helped me so much and encouraged me. Uh, taught me a lot of wrong. I mean, taught me a lot of right uh, when things were wrong. And... Uh, I asked him a question one time, and I was having a problem with some church members. And you know, when you first start a church, everybody flops. So you give them the truth, and they won't leave. And I, I had some problems, and I said, "Dr. Hudson, how, how do you handle this?" And he said, "Well, Brother Barry, I'll tell you how I did it. When I started Northside Baptist Church, he said I had problems too, and he said when I found the cancer in the church, he said I just cut it out." And he kind of grinned real big, Andrew, and he said, and I made sure I got it all. <laughs> wow. And uh, But he's been in heaven now probably 25 years. But uh, just great men influenced me. I was hungry. Dr. Lester Roloff, uh, all the great people who influenced me to uh, do right. And uh, later years, Jeff Owens and some of those great men. Uh, just influenced me, and still to this day, those that are living still influence me today. Right. Uh, how did you choose, or did you, um, who to let influence you? If you look around today, there's a lot of people that have big ministries, but they're not going the same direction. How did you, uh, even as you're younger, choose, look at somebody and say, I'll let them influence me, or I won't let those other people influence me? I think influence, uh, I learned a lot of that. When I started pastor school, the great men that they, Dr. House had in, uh, and of course I listened to Brother House, and he it, he taught me what to look for, who to have, who to hang around, who not to hang around. And uh, of course your dad uh, went to college there, I think graduated from House Anderson. And uh, the great man that he is, uh, he was influenced by those same people. Your dad's, right. your dad's a great man, great pastor, doing a great job here in Suffolk. And uh, but uh, probably Brother Howes was the biggest influence in my life. This is what he has said to me in the past. Um, you just it don't fit. Yeah. You know, you would hear somebody or be around somebody, and it's just this don't fit what I'm reading in the Bible. This doesn't fit what my spirit is responding to. It just, this is, it don't fit. And uh, and he, you know, he'd say, you know, I believe he's a good man, but we don't fit. And so he would back away from that. But then we'd go, 
the camp, even camp meetings or whatever, and he said, this is my crowd. You know, I fit here. So, you know, I just think the Spirit of God, once again, is what would... He was so hungry for it all. And, I, you know, he, he, he was seeking the people that he fit with because he didn't have a family. Back to one of your former questions, but because he didn't actually have a, a constructive family. So he was looking for his crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when he found it, you know, he signed up for all of it. So does that make sense? Does that sound like you? That sounds like me. And, uh, but, you know, I, when I got saved, it, I'm still amazed at this day what the Holy Spirit's taught me. Uh, everything, every decision I make, I pray about it. And uh, sometimes I wonder if I made the right decision. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's been my teacher. Right. And Andrew, if you ever have a church, listen to the Holy Spirit. Right. And uh, he'll help you sort it out. I've been reading this week book this week here at the hotel where I'm staying. Uh, Brother House book on Meet the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's refreshed a lot of stuff. Right, but the Holy Spirit will help you sort it out. Mm -hmm. If you're totally yielded and you want God's will and you want to know the truth, then the Holy Spirit will give it to you. He said, I'll lead you, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, and I'll teach you all truth. Right. You can depend on the Holy Spirit. But I don't know if that's I answered that question right or not, but hopefully <laughs> one day when you... Uh, little wife sitting there with you tonight uh you can listen to some of this and it may help you and i hope it Amen. hope it will i'm like i say i'm almost 75 we'll be in a couple months and i don't know how many years i've got left mm -hmm. and i appreciate you andrew interested in doing this hopefully one day if you're pastoring whatever uh if you have problems you can listen to this or whatever and yes, sir. it may help you right and uh, I still today get encouraged by reading books probably uh, Dr. Jeff Owens his book character all these uh, he's been a, a big help to me in my in my Christian life right well that kind of leads into my uh, another question what uh, if if you could have I'll kind of generalize it in a minute, but if you could have one book besides the Bible, what would it be? I think uh, his book on prayer, Brother Howell's book on prayer, of course the book on the Holy everything he wrote was good, right. but I think the book on prayer, Amen. for me, it's I think the prayer is the thing that we're lacking today, mm -hmm. but it's the thing that we need the most, the thing that we're lacking the most is prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. What what other Yeah. What other books would you recommend or do you read do you have any books that you frequently reference? Well, I, I read different books. I, I use some good solid Bible commentaries. I read the, the commentaries written by Dr. Oliver B. Green. Everything that I read has to be King James. I don't I don't read anything uh, that's not King James Bible. Right. And uh, because I want truth. Amen. And uh, but there's just so many books out there today. Dr. Howes wrote so many great books. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, what I think the, the book that I need to read, and everybody needs to read, is a book on prayer. And then uh, if I was going to pastor a church, well, I am pastoring, but if you ever pastor anything, uh, read his book on the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great book. But Dr. Harold Sattler wrote a book on the church. It's a good book. Amen. Gotcha. Um, so, now have you written any books? No, I haven't written any books. I'm not that smart. And I might get my wife to write one for me one day, but no, I'm kidding. But no, I haven't. I have. I put a book together. Uh, this generation of quote, quote, Christians too many of them are involved in drinking alcohol and wine has become a big thing. I I see people sometimes on the news where they've had a ball game at the sports bars and I, I'm just seeing too many people sitting in the church pew that used to serve God sitting at the, the bar now drinking alcohol. Right. And of course I've, I hate alcohol and uh but I put together a, a pamphlet on, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about Jesus drinking wine, but I did a, put a book together, really studied that out. And the title of my little book, it's only about 20-some pages, uh, is titled, What Would Jesus Drink? And it really explains the wine, the fermentation. And uh, I meant to bring some here this week and uh, uh, give them to you all. Where can I find that? Uh, I could send it to you. Gotcha. Just give me an address. Is it sold anywhere? No, it's not sold gotcha. anywhere. Did you write it specifically for your, your church I put people? it together. I uh, There were great preachers in the past that would write statements about it. And, of course, I contacted them, and they gave me permission to use some of their stuff. You know how that works, and uh, as long as I didn't sell it. So it's right. not for sale, but I'd be glad to send you some. Amen. If you look back... There are so many people that have strayed, pastors even, pastors that I've looked up to and respected that have gotten to their old age and they ended up straying from the old-time religion. They strayed from the King James Bible. What have you done uh, that has kept you uh, kept you serving God and King James Bible and, and salvation by grace through faith? What have you done that, that's kept you on the straight? Well, I think, I think the, we've had too many... Christians, pastors, whoever, that messed up. And here's why I think one of the reasons they mess up is called pride. Mm-hmm. They got they they depend on what their knowledge more than the knowledge of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so I and do I think that I love my Jesus enough? Because of his blessings and mercy in my life, I've never wanted to any way offend the Lord. And just, and I'll not use names, but we've had too many preachers in high places that got proud, messed up, and they have destroyed many other people. They have discouraged young Christians and discouraged college students who had so much confidence in them. Mm-hmm. At my age, I, I want to finish well. But here's, here's the statement I want to make. I don't want ever my children 
to have to hear from someone how their dad messed up. I, I want my kids to say my dad was straight, my dad stayed straight. And, and they'll tell you today, I have, I have very much respect for my children. Mm -hmm. And they say, dad's never changed. And I want to go to my grave. And I don't want my kids to read an article or something in a book sometime where their dad or a newsport or dad messed up. I love right. the Lord more than that, but I love my children. If I outlive my wife, I don't want my wife to ever have to hear from some gossip or some negative person that your husband messed up. Why? What? You know, and people like to gossip. The tongue's full of deadly poison. Amen. But I most of all, I want to honor the Lord. Right. Somebody has got to stand mm -hmm. and live for Christ till He comes again. But I, I love the Lord. I love my children, and I, I know, I know, I know a preacher's kids today. Sadly, that's out of the house of the Lord. You can't get them in church because of Dad. I think it's because you know when fathers are young and they have young children they're very especially pastors they're tough on their kids but then when they get older and the Lord's blessed them so much give them position and prosperity and all that and they get very proud of themselves they forget from whence they came I think the Bible says and so um, they lose their way and uh, but Pastor Bruce never forgot where he came from. Brother Hiles reminded often, you know, he would tell about his dad, and he would tell about things being poor and things. I think he continually. We've had this discussion. I think Brother Hiles continually reminded himself from where he came, right? And why the opportunities that he had, he knew God gave them to him, and he wasn't going to take advantage of that in the wrong way so or mistreated I guess is what I'm saying and and I think Pastor B picked that up from Brother House too that um, he didn't take for granted the fact that the Lord would use him and bless him and and but our about our boys they've had some struggles but they all said and this is so important to help parents but They've all said, Mom and Dad is so far to the right that even if we're not as straight as they are, we're still in the road. And, uh, and that's important. Right. But it also, they've told us this, you made it real hard for us to mess up. And even when we did, but you made it real easy for us to come Amen. back. Amen. And so they have. They still come back to God because it was in their heart. It was all in their heart. When one of our sons told me that recently that had had some real issues, and he said, Mom, I never could get away from what was in my heart. Amen. So many of the older preachers, Curtis Hudson, Lester Olaf, Jack Hiles, Oliver B. Green, and the list goes on, J. Frank Norris. I really enjoy reading J. Frank Norris. Um, they're all gone, and there's nowhere near the amount of preachers coming on the scene 
and some would ask the question, I don't believe this is true, but what's your response to it? Uh, somebody asked, is fundamentalism dead? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it is. Uh, uh, it's, we got some problems, but I don't think it's dead. That's, that's a big statement for somebody to make that it's dead. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I feel we're really nearing the coming of the Lord the way the world is. But I'm hoping that God will raise up another generation. Uh, I listened to Brother House back in the early days when he got started. And of course, uh, through the years, how uh, independent Baptists pulled away from the Southern Baptists who became liberal uh, in about every way. But uh, if God raised up a generation 60, 70 years ago, he can raise up another generation if people will follow him, if preachers will seek his will and do what he wants them to do. The eyes of the Lord are still going to and fro up on the land, seeking somebody to serve him. And uh, But we have a very, very materialistic generation. Uh, they want to play. Uh, and, of course, you know, nothing we can do about this, but we live in an electronic world. There's a lot of TV, a lot of all this stuff. I don't, I don't, really know, I don't know how to turn a computer on myself. That's how smart I am. And uh, but it, there's so much out there now that's different and dangerous. and dangerous. And Instagram, all this TikTok, and all this stuff. And uh, but I, I believe that I'm praying if the Lord don't come, that some young men like you or whoever will one day get this truth and take it to the next level. Amen. Uh, as long as God's alive, I think fundamentalism will be alive. Amen. Well, there's always been a remnant. Yes, always been a remnant. Do you see any promising, you don't have to name names, but do you see any promising um, prospects? In this area, where there's tons of churches being planted and we're, we're growing and reaching many, many people. Um, do you see that all over the country, though? Do you see people in emphasis on planting churches and, and prospective uh, uprisings of fundamentalism again? I really, I'm sure there's some somewhere, but I can't personally say that I think there's some now that's really going. Uh, I'm hoping that this great church up in North Suffolk, Virginia, uh, <laughs> called Suffolk Bible Baptist Church. Uh, got a great pastor, sharp mind, good heart. I'm hoping one day before I die, I can hear that that church has risen and uh, really moving forward. But I personally don't see it today. Now, I'm in a city, Charlotte, North Carolina, 1.7 million people. Our city, Charlotte, has over 1,400 Baptist, or 1,400 churches, not Baptist churches. I think when I started Liberty, there was about 20, 22 independent, fundamental Baptist churches, all of them King James, and uh, so winning bus routes, uh, large Sunday schools. Uh, but probably in our city now, I just might be the only independent Baptist church in Charlotte that uses the King James Bible only. Almost two million people. 
almost two million people. Uh, I know some people, a few people have come and tried to organize fundamental churches, but they just never would catch on. But uh, boy, it would be great if if it would happen. But uh, they, yeah, there's some pretty good churches. Uh, most of Charlotte's churches are contemporary. And I'll just spell it out to you. They liberal and it's just a, a fleshly thing that's happening. Some of the larger church, it's recreation, it's fun, recreation. Pastors, uh, you know, I'll just say what you're interviewing me, and but I'll just say that I, I just don't think no pastor would live in a $10 million house when he's got people can't buy a loaf of bread. And I just don't believe no preacher ought to have $80 million in the bank when missionaries are suffering on the fields. Right. But I don't, I don't see a, a real uprising in fundamentalism. I wish I did. The thing that I see right now is a lot of compromising, changing, no morals, no standards, no King James Bible, and very little sowing in. I remember in the 70s, Andrew, out of a hundred, uh, out of so many churches, we had a hundred, uh, top hundred churches in America in the early 70s, like 71, were independent Baptist churches. Right. And now we don't have one in the top 50. Wow. Something happened. Mm -hmm. And you get away from truth and uh, soul winning, uh, winning people to Christ, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But everybody... We're doing real well when they was in storefront buildings, small buildings. But when we got our big, nice buildings, got comfortable, uh, we started having a lot of problems. Is that what you would attribute the falling away to? A lot of it, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But it's, So uh, to a church, if there's a church that, that's running 1,000 or 2,000 or 10,000 people um, now or in the future, and they they have the wherewithal to have a nice building and nice facilities. What would you caution to keep that from happening to them? To keep them from having a nice building, or no, to to keep to keep them from from falling away in the same oh, fashion. I don't know if I know the answer to that, but uh, you know, as long as they just keep the right Bible, and I guess attend the right conferences. Mm -hmm. You know, we had the great pastor school for those years, and it kept our Andrew. It kept our churches in line because every year we got to go up there, and preachers got to get. We got preached to. We got stripped down. We got told how lazy we had gotten, and uh, but I I, uh, I think now we we have some conferences, but. Uh, last year, I went back, of course, to First Baptist. Two thirds called us. wasn't pastor school, but it was good, and it kind of refreshed what I had already learned. But I know uh, some of our church, Brother Fugate over in Kentucky, Clay's Mills, they have a good conference, and the National School of the Lord. It's in our state every year, and it, I was there this year, and, and I could see a, a bonding again. And the people wanting the old time religion again, uh, but I, I, I'd love in my lifetime 
to see it happen so that you, the young man, could enjoy what we enjoyed through the years. And uh, they will probably have children and have have so your children can grow up in that same thing. Alrighty, there you have it. You've seen part one of the interview with uh, Pastor Gary Barry. I hope it was a help to you. If you uh, if you need anything, you can email me at untogreatmen at gmail.com. That's U-N-T-O-G-R-E-A-T-M-E-N at gmail.com. Um, email me. Leave a comment in the in the comment section if you're on YouTube. Um, if you're if you're on podcasts, I don't think you can leave a comment, but leave a review for sure and uh, share the channel. Share it with everybody that would possibly be interested. I want to help as many people as I can, and I believe there's some information on this channel in the interviews that would help somebody to build their Christian character, help them to build their walk with God, and there's some information from wise men that have been through much in their life uh, that can really help them. Stay tuned. Part two is up. Go ahead and watch, listen to part two of the interview with Pastor Gary Berry. Thank you.